0: The heart of life is relationship. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is to love him, love God, and love your neighbor. It's all a matter of your heart. When you have great relationships, it's the way God designed you. You're supposed to have great relationships. This series is about small groups. I mean, this series is about friendship. And over the past uh, uh, the last week and this week and next week, we're going we're gonna to unpack for you the heart of why we do what we do. And last week, if you missed it, you need to go back. I, I shared a message uh, about the greatest commandment, Jesus teaching that we're supposed to love one another. And uh, I said we're commanded to do what we're created to do. That God made us a relational being, made us for relationship, and that that is why at five fourteen church, we do Sunday in small groups. I mean, we literally like ad nauseum. Like we have, um, we have like ten, 10 of these core staff values that really you guys never see, but they're 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 in front of our staff. And there, there was one pinned on the wall in one of the offices this week. And one of the things it says is we do two things. We do two things. We try to get everybody to be in a worship experience, large group, all ages, and we try to get every person into a circle of small groups where they can build relationships. And we believe that if you do that, that you are on the track, you are headed in the direction of having the most vibrant, full faith. And so, I mean, we have people coming to us for all the time. I mean, look, today is a little bit of I'm going to preach to the choir I'm going to preach to the choir today, because uh, we, we, there's other churches in this city, the vineyard. I mean, and, and I mean, that's just a big church that does small groups. They do small groups really well. All the churches around do small groups. And so some of you have come from other churches. You know, 60 percent of church growth and our church is growing dramatically is from people that come from other churches. And so that means that, that if you're sitting in here, you've heard about small groups to, to a level. If you're new, then this should be really refreshing for you and you should be ready to say like, okay, I'm gonna trust Joel and I'm gonna jump into a small group. But part of this is preaching to the choir because like you guys need to know and be reminded how important it is for you to be a part of that small group. And if you're in one, then you should be excited about it. You should be like, I, that the expression preaching to the choir just kept like running through my mind during why I was getting ready this morning because I'm like, you know, preaching to the choir has this negative connotation, like, "Eh, back off, Joel, you're preaching to the choir. Well, then flip and sing. (laughs) And what I feel about small groups is people don't sing about them. So I'm gonna preach to the choir until you start singing to me, bam! That's for our core, that's for people that call this place their home. There's hundreds of you. 700, 800 of you. There's only 400 adults in small groups. You know that church attendance right now, I've said this, I'm gonna say it again. The average church attendance in growing, thriving, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered churches, the average attendance for a person, average is 1.5 times a month. We've had weeks of 800 and 900. We had a week of almost 1,000 people just in attendance. There are over 2,000 people who walk through these doors Every month and call 514 church their home, only 400 people are in small groups. That's not okay. We're not okay with that. Why? Because we do two things. We want people to worship God. We want people to come into this room and worship God. We want people in small groups. We want people to worship God. We want people to get into relationship, because it's the heart. It's the heart. I was standing out here this morning watching people I was watching Tom Baker, are you in here? He's back serving probably with the kids. I was watching Tom Baker. Tom Baker has small groups. He's in a small group, he leads a small group of men. He helps teach the kids in the back. Tom Baker's been coming to this church since year one. I was thinking to myself, why is Tom Baker walking in here right now? Why is he walking in this door? Tom Baker grew up in the church. He knows the Bible. He understands scripture. He leads. He's led. He led before. In fact, Tom Baker came to me the year one and said, I'm going to come here for a little while because I want to learn how to start my own church. Will you help me start my own church? The reason that Tom, he came to me and said, I'm not going to start my own church. I'm going to be here. The reason that Tom walks into these doors and comes back is because of the people. It's because he wakes up and thinks I want to talk to so-and-so. I want to be with those people. I'm telling you, the heart of your faith is your relationship with God and your relationship with people. For a minute, think about how you qualify and quantify whether or not your faith is healthy. Is the first thing you think, my relationships are good? If they're not, you are missing the pinnacle, the most important thing, the greatest commandment of all to be in relationship with God and relationship with people. You might think, oh, my prayer life's not good, so my faith's not good. That's not number one. You might think I'm not reading the Bible enough, so my relationship, that's not number one. You might think I haven't gone to church enough and so God's not okay with me. God says I wanna have a personal relationship with you. That transcends a location. It's the first one. Do you think relationship? Do you think I'm in a good relationship with my friends? I'm in a good relationship with my family? Now, here's the reality. And I, I studied a bunch of this stuff. I, I follow like Harvard Business Review on Twitter. So I'm always like getting the greatest like um, sociology and um, the studies they're in from Harvard Business Review. And they're always on the cutting edge. And there are just a myriad of studies out there about how unbelievably people like us in these communities, the communities that we live in right here on this side of 270 are so unbelievably and utterly alone. Even though we all have more friends on Facebook, even though we all have more kids in the public schools, even though we have the the work environment that we go to, We are alone. Mother Teresa said that being alone and feeling like you're not wanted is the greatest poverty. This is from a woman who spent her entire life trying to forge into the darkness of poverty of children and families not having clothes and not having food. She went into those places that have the material uh, lacking of, of what people need to sustain their normal lives and she saw that even in the midst of those who have the very least of material possessions that the thing they missed the most was the connection with people, relationship. Could it be that when you have the material things That the greatest poverty transcends those environments. That the greatest poverty is in both, that the greatest poverty in the world is to be alone. How about the greatest poverty being if there really is an enemy and there really is brokenness and you have a reason to come to church because you need saved, you need redeemed, you need life, you need to figure out what that that kind of, that God marking that thing in your chest is and you're here today going God help me, help me, help me. Could it be that the God of the universe knows that you being alone is the biggest challenge you will ever have in your life and therefore he said I will create and I will give you a command to do what you're created to do, which is to be in relationship, healthy relationship with God in the center of it. So a lot of us are just alone, generally speaking. We're just alone. We don't really have community. We don't really share life together. We don't really have like great friends with our neighbors. I mean, I live in New Albany and yesterday it was 65 degrees, it's February and All the dads came out and the kids were playing hockey in the middle of the street. If I'm honest, there's like this bubble, right? Like I don't really wanna like go too far relationally with my neighbor in the street. Cause it's like, oh, I have to live by them. I don't really want to know them and I have to really know them and then they'll know if I'm having a bad day and then I have to talk to them when I'm getting the mail. I mean, do we really wanna do that? I'm a relational person, man. I'm an extrovert, like high on the scale. But there's a part of me that just naturally, if I'm not careful, push people away. There's a part of vulnerability that kind of lives inside of us where we are actually crave to be alone, but there's something in our head and there's something in our, our minds that stops us from connecting. We are a disconnected people. I feel it, and so do you. And so what happens is, is you, you start to, and I, I was going to teach this last week, but there's a study that was done called The Social Mind. This, this PhD did all this work on what it means to connect. And what he found was, is that people are task-oriented. And when they sit at their computers and they have tasks, or when they go to work and they have tasks, that the brain moves into this network of accomplishing things. And then as soon as the tasks are done, their brain, in 30 seconds... Flips to this thing called the social cognitive network, which basically the web of the brain shifts and changes, and its desire is to have an interaction with a person in in, in the way that you're made. And so a lot of people are walking through life. You're at work. You're doing your thing. And like, you kind of, we live in this kind of task and multitask and double task and, and, and achieve and get things done and, and, and win and, and be great and, and provide. And it's task, 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 task. You know, whatever that is for you, you get the degree, you get the girl, you get the job, you get the car. Just whatever that is, a task, 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 task accomplish this, make my boss happy, make my friends happy, do these things so I become valuable, whatever all that junk is that's task-driven, we all live in that so dramatically and then as soon as tasks get removed, our brain craves, it like reaches back out to the other side of, oh, I want to talk to somebody. And so what you do is like you start to feel that a little bit and you have a happy hour. You have a happy hour. Or you join the bowling club or you play softball, or you get in the moms with tight little kids group, and you just start to connect with people, and there's something about that that's great, but then you get together with people, and when you get together with people, it's really messy and it's hard. And so then you start to step away, you go, I don't know how much I wanna say, and I don't know how much I wanna be vulnerable, and I don't know how much I want them to know, and I thought I would like her, but then when she started talking, I was like, oh! And it happens, right? So we're just like like driving through. We were talking this morning as a team. Right now it feels like a lot of people are sick in our church, really sick. And, you know, when the church first started, this church first started, there, there was hundreds of people here. And I knew everybody, but no one else knew everybody. You know what I mean? And I knew there was just as many sick people. But now that more people are in community, more people feel and see that the sickness, it's like, oh, everybody knows. And so what happens when you get around people is you you start to get around their mess, you start to get around the the junk of of what's going on in life and if you just get in the bowling club or you just go to happy hour, you just join the softball team or you just do yoga or you just go to CrossFit because you do desire that connection with people, once you get around people, just getting around people isn't good enough. Because there's this extra step that comes with a faith component that you have to have. So just fill in the blank. Just fill it in here. A group about what is good. It's fine. It's like, it's like a part. You're like designed. A group about bowling. A group about yoga. A group about book club. A group about wine tasting. I mean, I don't. you fill it in. Like you're designed for it. It's good. You need it. But the reality is is that the local church and the God of the universe who made you who commanded you and created you to be in relationship, he has an X factor in community that you cannot find outside of him. You will be empty, you will starve until you have that relationship with God peace, and then that relationship with God peace is in the middle of your relationship with people peace. You will starve You will get frustrated. People will be annoying. You will be annoying. You will hurt someone's feelings. Someone's feelings will will hurt. Someone will hurt your feelings. It's It's just the way it happens. And then if you bring God in the center of it, then who we are and what we think and our needs become secondary to trying to just figure out the ultimate God of the universe who loves us. Oh, and then what that does is that brings unity. That brings everybody on the same team. We're chasing after God together. And you bring your junk and I bring my brokenness and I bring this and we all come together in this group experience and we have this common goal and that's what makes something wonderful is a real important common goal because if your common goal is to read the latest book, if your common goal is to like do the most upward dog, I mean whatever it is, like if that's your common goal, like eventually you'll accomplish that and it will be unfulfilling but what you will find out is that the God of the universe, he satisfies in a way that you've never been satisfied in relational capacity that's transcendent. Where the way that you were created has teeth and God is the only other piece that can lock into that. And you don't know what it is, but you know that it's there. And that's what God can do. And so a group about fill in the blank is good. A group about God is great. A group about God is great. You need, listen to me, right now you need to be in a group that's sole purpose is for you to grow in your relationship with God and love the people around you. You need to be in an intentional gathering that has agreed upon, everyone is loved by God, we're chasing after God, we're not perfect, but we know we need to be here. You need it. Your brain's desired, designed to be in relationship and the peace that you're missing is the part that makes it all about God. There's so many of you in here. I'm preaching the choir. Preaching in the choir. You're going, yeah, 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 we know, we know. Then sing. Sing. Tell me how much you love your group. Tell me how much you, you, you've experienced when God is in the center of something and you love the people and you love God wow, what can really happen? God has said that we are supposed to be together and he has told us that it's not good for us to be alone. We looked at that. The Lord God said last week, it is not good for the man to be alone. You're alone. We're all alone. And then what he does is he says, oh, this is good and he uses one of the the most wise people ever Solomon in the Old Testament who basically experienced life in every fashion whatever temptation whatever desire whatever there is to consume whatever there was on the earth which was the same stuff then as there is now he consumed it all and he pursued it all he pursued it all and learned by the end of his his kind of musings he learned nothing is more important than having a relationship with God so basically whatever it is that you're going after to fulfill this thing inside of you this desire nothing None of it will fill you. And Solomon is like, you don't have to touch the stove to see that it doesn't satisfy. I did, and it doesn't work. Nothing fulfills you this this much. And then he goes and he talks about relationships. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes. He says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. You, you, you need to be with people. You're designed to be with people. You, you're not supposed to be alone. You feel alone. You're supposed to be with people. It's better to be with people because they have a good return for their labor. Oh, this is called synergy. You've heard this a hundred times, right? Two people pushing a hundred pounds up a hill is better than one person where the two individually couldn't do it, but together they can Synergy. It's better. There's a better return. It's a better investment. You'll get more out of life in relationship. Preaching to the choir. If it either of them falls down, they can help the other up. You're going to fall down. You need someone to pick you up. You need someone to help you. You're going to fall. We've talked about that in a whole series called Loser. You're going to fall. Part of getting back up is having someone else to get back up with you. You're going to fall. But pity the one who falls alone, the one who has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they keep each other warm. You're going to need comforted. You're not supposed to be alone. You're going to need comforted. You're going to need someone in your life to kind of be with you and, 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 and heal you. You need healing. And it happens in the context of, of people. People. You're commanded to do what you're created to do, and this this thing you're created to do is to be with people. You need that. God God says it through Solomon. I've tried it all. You need someone. You need people in your life. But how can they keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. Oh, my gosh, you're going to get attacked? You're going to get attacked by people. You're going to get attacked My health problems, my situation, you're gonna get attacked, you're gonna be under attack. Some of you poor moms are under attack by your high school kids. You need it, you're gonna need someone, you can defend yourselves. Moms with swords against high school kids, sounds like a weird movie. And then look what he says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What does this mean? It means two are good. When you add God into the picture, it's great. Two are good. You're alone. You need people. You started to figure that out. But until you move succinctly into the center of a space that is designed around God, you will be broken. Life will break you alone, but it won't break a group that's centered around God. A cord of three strands, pencils. This isn't too hard for me to break, pretty easy. One person alone, easy to break. They're gonna fall down, they're gonna get cold, they're gonna be attacked, easy to break. A cord of three strands, two people get together, it's a little bit better, right? Bowling, yoga, etc. A little bit harder, still, yoga. There's only so many downward dogs. I mean, it's just, it's not, it doesn't work. A cord of three strands, three things. You add God into your community. You make God the center. Ooh, it gets, honestly, I'm gonna break it, but the point is, it's harder. It's harder. We're broken people, we're vulnerable, but when you make a God group your destination, that's a great thing for you. And when the third shows up, when God's in the midst of the two, or God shows up in the midst of the six, Wow, a God group is great. You need to have the Holy Spirit of God as the target, as the center point for your time with people. It's the way that you were made. Okay, I'm gonna tell one more story. I'm supposed to be going 25 minutes. You know, there's a lot of pastors that preach for 50 minutes. I only preach for 30 and they give me a hard time. I, you think I don't have more to say? I'm, I'm trying to say less there's an amazing story in Acts, and you need to go read it. You need to read the book of Acts Matthew Mark Luke, John, Acts. Acts is a book that was written by Luke. He was a doctor, and he watched Paul, who started to all he started the church essentially. God showed up in his life and he started to go share the gospel with all the different regions. Paul um, and a guy named Silas and two other guys end up in a place called uh, Philippi and they're there, and what happens is they're being followed around by this woman who can say miracles. She can teach miracles. She knows, like, um, the future. And actually, she was such a valuable asset that people would hire her to help win battles. In fact, these types of, like, people with this type of gift, this woman, they would be hired by armies and the generals and stuff like that so they could go, what is the, the enemy going to do? And they would, they would help them win. And so this woman has an owner and she's walking around and she's fortune telling. And for some reason when Paul and those guys are in town, she starts to follow them around and she starts to say, these people know the living God. These people know the living God. Well, you and I hear the living God and we think Jesus and God. But what that meant is there are a myriad of gods and these people know one of them. And Paul gets frustrated because She's sending a wrong signal because he wants everyone to know it's actually Jesus. And so Paul says, Be quiet. You're, you're driving us nuts. Leave us alone. Leave us alone and stop. And then he turns to her and he has this interaction because actually she's like overcome by spiritual forces that are causing her to live in this demonic thing that's not of God. And he heals her and basically she gets freed from this demonic oppression. Uh, oppression. And then she can't tell the future anymore. So then the owners get mad at Paul and and, and Silas, and they take them and they uh they they take them and they put them on trial and they're standing trial. And the people that owned the woman are just mad because now they're losing money, because they lost their fortune teller. So they tell a bunch of lies about him. They didn't cause any ruckus, they just made her heal. So these two guys get their, their clothes stripped off. And they get beaten with rods, beaten with rods. Their backs are open wounded because they're beaten with rods. Then they get thrown into prison. Oh, it's amazing. They get thrown into a jail that was just adjacent from where they were beaten. These two people, this group that is together gets, goes through this horrible thing together and then they get thrown into prison. And it says in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, it says that Paul and Silas were singing to God. I am sorry. If you don't get the picture, two guys that get thrown into prison after being beaten alone, just the two, no way they sing. No way. They're broken. They're done. They're moving professions. They're changing everything. Uh uh-uh, uh, no way. But these guys in the midst actually start to have praise from a prison, joy from a jailhouse. You know why? Because they're not alone. They know God is there with them. Because two are good but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So here we go, we have a group of people that has God as the center and no matter what happens, they worship and praise God While they're singing, the walls of the prison start to shake, and they fall down. The jailer who's watching them grabs his sword. He grabs his sword, and he goes to puncture his stomach to kill himself because he knows he's going to be in trouble if these guys get out on his watch. They tell him to stop. Don't do that, and they share Jesus with this jailer and the jailer meets Jesus. Now the group goes from two, they had God in the midst of it, three, and the jailer joins. And now he's centered around God. In the middle of that night, look what the jailer does. It says at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. He took them. And he washed their wounds. They were beaten with rods. Then immediately he had all his household and all his household were baptized. Do you get the picture? A God group is great. It changes everything. It changes household. It changes you. There's two. The walls go down. They get the jailer on the team. They go to his house and have a small group. They clean his wounds. The dad tells his wife and his kids about Jesus. And they all accept Jesus Who doesn't want to be a part of a small group like that? That's the heart. That's how this whole thing works. People loving people with God in the center of it. They're baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole household. Mm. I cannot do any more. I cannot, I'm telling you, it's the way you were made. You're missing if you don't have it. You're in trouble. You will be broken if you don't get in to a group that's centered around God. Now here's the deal, I'm preaching in the choir. A lot of you are sitting here, and you know this. You're like, in theory, you're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. You grew up in the church, you think, I get it, I got it. I've been in a small group, it didn't work out, my leader was not a leader, I don't know. I couldn't find, here's the thing, a lot of us right here, what we need to understand is that there's a lot of reasons not to get in a a group. Some of the ones that we hear are like this. Here's some of the obstacles we hear. And as I put these up, I want you to understand in this context, none of these are good enough if everything I just said was true. None of these are good enough. So now I'm coming, sorry, I'm coming right after everyone. I'm coming after you. If your reason jumps up on this screen, I have just proven that it is not good enough and that you need to try to get in a group centered around God. Here's what we hear, fail to see the need. If you don't see the need today, I mean, I can go on and on and tell you about how this past week in our small group, we put the curriculum aside. I'm the pastor of the church. We put the curriculum aside. I said, hey, what is everybody going through? Two men cried. Girls, did you hear that? Two husbands cried. They're like, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm in need, man. I, I'm having a hard time right now. Just the, 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 the need right there. Literally, one person was crying, and they, they said, something has been happening in their life, really, really, really hard stuff, for over a month, and this is the first time they set it out. That doesn't happen at yoga. Yoga's fine. I love it. Fear. These people are afraid. Like you're just afraid and maybe you're an introvert. Maybe, maybe you're just afraid of people. Maybe you've had a bad experience. It's not a good, It's not good enough. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust what God's word like unpacks and shows us that is really important for your life and that is the heart. Another one is calendar. This is honestly like the easiest one because we don't know your calendar. You know your calendar. And so it's the easiest one to say I can't be there because whether it's true or not, you can move something into that time slot and act like it's been there. Or you can allow something that's around that time to take you away or you can say they don't have something for me and you know what, we, we have a lot of grace with this. If we don't have a, t- a group for you that's at the right time, we just say, hang on, and we'll try to find one. But if you believed what I taught this morning, calendar wouldn't get in your way. If you had to go to the doctor, you'd move something around, even your most important meeting. I mean, how many of you have a meeting once a year that's actually more important than going to see the doctor about your health and your heart? No, you, I mean, you don't. You just, you just tell your boss, I have, a, I have to go to the doctor. And people hear doctor. Well, I gotta go to the doctor. You, you have to move your calendar around. Another thing that we hear is chemistry. And this is real, and we care a lot. And the group team and Carmen Smith, who's overseen all that, she cares a lot about getting people into groups, not just with age and stage connection, but with actual enjoyment and chemistry with one another so you can walk through life together. But sometimes, and we have people in this church, there's some people sitting in this front area, I can barely see you, but I know you're there, you went to four different groups and didn't connect with the people. And what can happen is when you don't connect with people you can think that the premise is wrong, it's not wrong, it's just you didn't connect with people. You still have to make the goal the same. So chemistry is you just have to keep trying, you just have to keep trying. And we know that sometimes there's not competent leadership. We we have 40 people right now going through supervision, which is six weeks, it's 12 hours of all we can do to try to train someone to get a little bit ready to lead a small group, and honestly, of every class, if they average 30, 10 groups come out of there. Because a great group has a great leader. It's what makes all the difference in the world. And if that was easy to find, then we wouldn't have any problems. But it's hard to find people who love this church, who believe in what we're doing, and who are capable of actually leading a room of 10 people. And we believe that everything rises and falls with leadership, and so we're not just going to churn people out that aren't good enough to lead a group of people, even if they go through supervision. We tell people in our supervision course, we say at the very first week, we tell them, just because you're here doesn't mean you're gonna be a leader. We don't know if you're supposed to lead. We don't know if you have the gifts. We don't know if you fit. We don't know. We would rather have healthy groups with good leadership than launch groups that six months later fall apart because of competent leadership. So it's a good excuse But now, knowing how important it is, you have to go over that obstacle. You have to push through. And we're gonna give you opportunities. And listen, you guys, next week, we are going to unpack the heart of small groups. We are gonna share some stories with you. We are going to, to share you with you how groups take care of one another. We're gonna share with you how groups celebrate together. We are gonna show you, you have to come, if you're not convinced yet, you need to come one more week and look at what it really means to have the heart of the church healthy. Let me take a minute and pray for you guys. God, thank you so much that you have made the vital piece of this, this life on earth so crystal clear. A relationship with you, a relationship with people. Help us, God, in our blind spots, in our weaknesses, to pursue relationship with the people, to get in a group where God is in the center and not let anything stop us. In Jesus' name, amen. David.